0: Okay, we're, we're kicking off a series today, brand new series called Orthodoxology, and full disclosure, yes, I did make up this word. Okay, it's not a real word. Some are like, "What are you talking? Orthopedics, orthodontics? What? What is this about?" Um, if you were wondering that, you're you're not alone. My wife, when I told when I said I made it up, she's like, "I knew it. I knew that wasn't a real word." Uh, so I, I at least had her fooled. But I want to clarify what I mean by this in just a minute, but before I do, uh, I need to help some of you who might be new to church because maybe, like, this is all kind of new to you, and you're here, and you're checking this out, and you're like, I don't know, like, orthodox, solid, do I need some kind of master's degree in theology to understand what's going to be talking about? Let me, let me put you at ease. All right, so if you're new, I'm a pastor, there's a number of things I do, but, but maybe the most visible thing that I do is this right now. I get the the privilege of proclaiming God's word to you, God's truth to you. It's what we call preaching this, this moment, preaching. And when I preach, my, my preference is to help you get your eyes on how great God is, how merciful he is, how compassionate he is. How caring he is, how much he loves you, how he's faithful, how he's reliable, how he's dependable, how he's unchanging in his character, how he's not holding your sin against you, how he knows you at your worst and he loves you anyway and he's working on your behalf that despite what's happened to you or despite what you're going through now, God is working for your good. He has your good in mind. I always want to point you to the bigness of God, to to magnify him. That's part of what you're going to get when you come here. The other side of that is I want you to know how the Bible applies to your life. I, I want you to know how you can go to God's word and get some wisdom for your decisions. I want you to know what the Bible says about your relationships and your interactions with people. I want you to know what the Bible says about your work. I want you to know what the Bible says about the problems that you are facing, and what the Bible says about your hopes and your dreams and the goals you have. I want you to know how you can go to God's word for what you need. Because if, you, if you're new, you just need to know that what you're going to get when you come, I'm always going to point you to who God is. And I'm always going to help you know how to live according to the Bible. I'm not gonna talk over you, and that's important because I know the moment you hear this series idea, Orthodoxology, you're like, look, bro, you lost me. Anytime you're with words over five syllables, like, it just, I, 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 I can't do that. And I get it, I get it, but just know I am not going to talk over your head. I promise that. This is going to be something that is enjoyable and accessible. But I wanted to use this phrase, orthodoxology, to, to set the tone for what this series is about. Because I knew that this is just going to hit a little different, a little different vibe to this one. I, I wanted to feel almost like a little bit of a classroom setting. And I don't mean that it's going to be boring. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that we would approach it with this idea of, I've got something. To learn here there's something new that i'm going to be introduced to and and i need i'm here to learn and even if you're like man i'm i'm not a school person i dropped out of school i'm not interested in that you're still going to enjoy this because this is going to unlock some things that you've been puzzled by in your christian life it is going to help you in your walk with god so with that little disclaimer i want to get into a scripture today i'm reading out of colossians 2 to start this out. And if you brought your Bible with you, if you have one of these, you can turn to Colossians chapter two. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen so we can all be on the same page together. I always encourage you though to to at least write these down or look them up for yourself because I don't want you to just, I you mean, I just be making something up and you wouldn't know. So when you can write it down and check it out or if you don't have a, a Bible like this, you... Can you use there's a Bible on your phone called the Bible app. Go to Bible.com, that's what I use to engage with God's word. You can engage with the scripture that way. But Colossians chapter 2, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We're going to start in verse 6. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Which, by the way, last week during our Easter services, we had 29 people. That we know of make decisions, place their trust in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Twenty-nine people. Destinies changed. And he says, just as you accepted Christ Jesus, maybe that's you. Last week was the week you accepted Christ. You heard the gospel message. You heard the truth proclaimed. You said, Okay, I, I hear that. I understand that. I accept it. I'm gonna respond to it. Just as you responded to it by taking a step, Paul says, I want you to continue to follow him. I want you to continue to live this out. I want you to continue, keep walking. Let your roots, verse 7, grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. This is I love the phraseology. Your roots growing down, your lives being built up. It says, then... Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. I like that last part. In other words, when you make the decision to plant yourself in church community, when you make the decision to plant yourself, establish yourself in God's truth, where your roots grow down deep, where your life is being built up, what's he say? You'll be glad you did your life will overflow with thankfulness. Why? Because it's going to impact every part of your life. It's going to change your relationships. It is going to change your joy. It is going to change your economics, how you handle money. It is going to change how you deal and view hardship, how you handle trouble. It is going to change every aspect of your life When you let this get into your spirit, when you plant yourself in this, and that's why what he says next is so important. Because in the next verse, he gives a warning. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in in a human body. In other words, he's saying you've received the truth, you've responded to it, continue to walk in it, because there's there's some things coming at you. They're high-sounding arguments. They sound intellectually intelligent, but they're hollow. There's some philosophies coming at you that they sound impressive, but they're empty. They're nonsense. And the danger in these empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense are that it's a trap. Don't just be captured by it. Just turn to the person next to you, tell them it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Now within this text we see a couple ideas. He says, there's the truth you were taught and then there's these empty philosophies that you're hearing. There's this truth you were taught and then there's this noisy nonsense going on. Paul says, I want you to listen to the truth, not the empty arguments. So I want to use this scripture today to speak to you from this subject. Ringing true. Ringing true. That's the title of this message if you're taking notes. Have you ever used that phrase before, ringing true? It's when something sounds good, It's uh, it resonates. Just that hits right. It sounds good. It's funny how some things can sound good and they're actually wrong. You can say, sometimes you ever get your tongue tangled? I mean, your, your tongue tangled. You know what I'm talking about? You get that, and everything you did, you do that on purpose? I don't know. Sometimes you can say something and, and you get words mixed up or you combine words. That's what I did with uh, this phrase, this word orthodoxology. What do we mean when we say orthodox? It's really the combination of two words, two English words. If you want to get technical about it, maybe three Greek words. It's the word orthodox. How many of you have heard the word orthodox before? Orthodox, let's talk about what that means. Orthodox, means true. Orthodox means right, means correct, literally means to have the right opinion on something. Practically, when something is orthodox, it, it means that you hold to established customs, traditions, beliefs, practices, patterns, doctrines. Orthodox is the generally accepted principles customs that's orthodox or orthodoxy there's another word though you might might be less familiar with this doxology ever heard the word doxology if you grew up in church a denominational church like i grew up with there was a part of the service called the doxology doxology literally means praise means glory so Like in the Methodist church that I grew up, there's usually a part at the end called the doxology. And I'll just tell you, like the the 9 o'clock service, they could not wait to sing this. They were so excited. But it, it, it goes, praise God to whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And you know it's a good church when it's Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. got the Holy Ghost. That's the Methodist church, the Holy Ghost. So I'm Team Spirit, by the way. But uh, we did a series a while back called Team Spirit. So, so that's the doxology. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise. So this idea of orthodox, right beliefs, right opinions, doxology, praise. Here's the idea that I want to convey. That right beliefs bring glory to God. That's orthodoxology. When you've got the right beliefs, it brings God glory. In fact, I would tell you it's hard to really bring God glory without holding the right beliefs. The Westminster Catechism, probably never heard of it, but the very first question says, What is the chief purpose of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our purpose is to give God glory with our lives, with our bodies, with how we we live and interact. That's why we have to understand right beliefs bring glory to God. Now, some people might think, I don't know, it doesn't really matter what we believe. Is it really that big a deal? Of course it does. Because what we believe determines how we behave. How we behave determines who we become. So, of course, your beliefs matter. And that's exactly why Paul is writing to the Colossians. See, Colossae, it was a a small, relatively unimportant city in Roman times. It's about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of the city that people know. That was the big, modern city, a lot happening. Colossae is not so important in, in history. But there was a church there. This church was kind of like the the spiritual grandchild of Paul because he had never been there personally. But one of his co-workers who started as one of his converts, this guy's name was Epaphras. If you're looking for a baby name, consider Epaphras. Great Bible name. Epaphras. He, He was a convert of Paul. He was from Colossae. So he accepts Christ, gets saved, starts helping out Paul. He goes to Colossae to share the gospel with them and starts a church. That's how the church was formed. So Paul's never been there, but he cares about them. And the reason he's writing them is because he doesn't want them to be deceived. He says this, if you look in the chapter, if you've got your Bible, in verse 4, he says, I'm writing because I don't want you to be deceived. You see, there was this false teaching that was creeping into the church And it was causing them to turn away from the faith they had at first. So Paul says, he says, I I need you to continue in the truth that you were taught. What he's talking about here is doctrine. Doctrine, that's truth, teaching, belief. And many times we hear the word doctrine and we'll immediately disqualify ourselves from having any kind of informed opinion because you know, doctrine, That's theology. And I'm not a theologian, so why should I care about doctrine? Let's talk about this for a minute. What is theology? Theology, it's two words, Greek words. Theos, meaning God. Logos, meaning word or thoughts or ideas. So if you have thoughts about God, congratulations, you're a theologian. Go ahead and just tell somebody, I'm a theologian. You you are a theologian. You might not feel like you are, but you are. You can put it in your Instagram bio right now. You're a theologian. Be impressive, impress somebody. You have thoughts about God. So the question isn't, are you a theologian? The real question is, are you a good one? Are, are, Are you a good one? Because the work of being a Jesus follower, the work of being a disciple, is to discover Jesus' words. And have your mind and your life conformed to the pattern that Jesus wants. That's what Paul's talking about to the church in Colossae. Now, sometimes people have these weird stigmas attached to the idea of doctrine. You know, we don't want to be dogmatic about anything. We don't want to be dogmatic about anything because in our culture today, it is very unpopular to Uh, I'll put it this way. Our culture today is resistant to the idea of authority. That's the norm. That's why people say, I don't believe in organized religion. To which I say, okay, do you believe in organized anything? How about businesses? Do you believe businesses should be organized? Do you believe in organized sports? Do do you believe that the government should be organized? I, I know it's not, but do you believe that it should be? Do you believe that music should be organized? Do you believe that social services should be organized? So, so the, the question isn't that, you know, should things be, be organized? It's not that things shouldn't be organized. Of course things should be organized. What people are really saying is when it comes to Christianity, when Christianity becomes organized, when, when it takes some form or there's some order around it, Abuses can happen. And that's true. Because abuses can happen in anything that's organized. And abuses can happen in things that are not organized. Abuse can happen in business. Can happen in sports. Can happen in family. Can happen in academics. So the point isn't organization is wrong. And even if you adamantly believe that it is, that it's wrong. That in and of itself is a doctrine. Because doctrine are the things that we believe. It is the organization of your thoughts. So the real question is, is your doctrine a valid doctrine? Is it worth building your life around? Is it something you can stand in? We, We gotta get past some of these empty veneers and these high-sounding slogans and examine what the Scriptures say because Orthodox Christian doctrine is not a set of rules meant to condemn people. Doctrine is teaching that comes from Scriptures. And because it comes from Scriptures, it's trustworthy. And because it's trustworthy, you can build your life on it. In fact, you might not realize how important this is, but the Bible has a lot to say about doctrine. In the book of Acts, Acts is where the church is birthed. Pentecost happens. They're filled with the spirit. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people are added to the church that day. They're baptized. And one of the very first things we read about the church is this, found in verse 42, says that the early Christians, focused on two primary things. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they said, hey, here's what we have to focus on. We we need to make sure that when we get together, we're receiving communion. That's the breaking of bread. We need to make sure we're going to pray when we get together. The other thing is we need to devote ourselves to doctrine. We need to devote ourselves to what we're being taught to what the apostle told us about Jesus and this way of life and how we're supposed to live. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul wrote this. He's writing to his protege in the faith. This is one of his last letters, by the way. So he's got to leave Timothy with some final instructions. He says, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, Paul didn't separate life from doctrine. He he said, you need to focus on this because if you want to continue, you want to keep going after I'm gone, the things that are going to matter is how you live and what you believe. They're impacted by each other. You can't separate these. Look at another thing Paul wrote in Romans. He wrote this to the, the church in Rome. Chapter 16, verse 17 it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put up obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. So, you heard some things when you came to Christ. You learned this. Watch out for stuff that's opposite. That keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good. And innocent about what is evil. He said, hey, it is important that you know what's right and you know what's wrong. There is good and there are things that are evil. And there's a lot of ideas out there that are contrary to the doctrines of Christ that you first received. And you need to be on guard against that. So I want you to be mindful about what you believe. Because what you believe matters. Now, next week I'm gonna get into some of this and how you can decipher what's true and what's right and what's wrong. So if you want to get into that part, you make got to make sure you come next week. But I want to look at this one verse, and we're gonna break this out. Second Timothy chapter two. Paul wrote again to Timothy. And I told you this is gonna feel a little bit like a classroom. You'll see. Second Timothy chapter two says study. I'm sorry, he says study. <laughs> Is there homework? Yes, you got to study. He says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved. What's that mean? Tested. There is going to be a test. Tested by trial. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. I like this part. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. So rightly handling, skillfully teaching the word of truth this is the main takeaway that you need to get from all of that, is that God's truth is knowable and measurable. You can know right from wrong. You can know what God has said. There are right beliefs and there are wrong beliefs. And since he says rightly dividing, I want to split this out for you and help you understand some of this. In fact, that word, correctly analyzing, rightly assessing, rightly dividing, that's really in, in some ways where you get this idea of orthodoxy. That that word, rightly divide, it's orthotomeo. Say, say toomeo. It means to right cut. You say tomeo, I say tomato. It's almost the same thing. <laughs> orthotomeo. So, Orthotomeo means a right cut. Orthodontics, right teeth, right? Orthopedics, right bone structure. Like, orthotomeo, right cut. There are some right ways to slice this. And what I want to do is give you a shortcut to theological competence today. It's going to be helpful for you. And, and, and the, the basis of Christianity this little illustration is going to help you so much of what we mean when we say orthodoxy. At the centerpiece of Christian theology is this idea, saving faith. Called this ringing true. I've got some rings of orthodoxy for you. Saving faith. What is saving faith? Well, saving faith is what we do at the end of our service. It's, it's how, you become, how how you become forgiven. How you place your faith in Jesus. Saving faith is the starting point. It's the sinner's prayer. It's I trust in Jesus for forgiveness of my sin. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that God sent his son to the earth. And that through faith in what Jesus did, what did he do? He he was beaten for my transgressions. He died on the cross. That should have been my death. Through that, he was buried. And he didn't stay dead. He he rose from the grave. He showed his victory over death and hell and sin. Through faith in that, I can be forgiven. Through faith in that, I can be redeemed. And it doesn't go beyond that. If you can believe that in your heart, and confess that with your mouth, the Bible says you're saved. It's not any more complicated than that. You don't need to know everything else in the Bible. It's the very basic level. This is why when we get to heaven, there are going to be some people you're surprised to see there. You're like, what? You? They had saving faith. This is the thief on the cross. The story of the thief on the cross... It's in, it's in Luke 23, 24, 23, I think. He's on the cross and one of the thieves is ridiculing Jesus. He's, the guy says, what are you doing? We deserve to die. In other words, I'm a sinner. We're, we're wrong. We deserve this. This man hasn't done anything wrong. He's, he's perfect, sinless life. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. But he's saying, I recognize that you're the son of God. He didn't have perfect theology, wasn't baptized. Saving faith. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I'll see you in paradise. So you'll be with me in paradise. So, So that's saving faith. And unfortunately, a lot of people never graduate beyond saving faith. But saving faith necessitates some other things after saving faith there's something called essential beliefs what are essential beliefs essential beliefs are the things that separate christianity from a cult they're most easily seen in the creeds right so like there's the apostles creed i believe god almighty creator of heaven and earth talks about the father son holy spirit the the, the creeds are Essential beliefs. You gotta understand, like, there's a lot of religions out there that have an opinion on Jesus. Jesus is in the Quran. There's a lot of cults that have an opinion on Jesus. But essential beliefs of Christianity are things like Jesus was born of a virgin, He is God's only. Begotten Son. He is fully God incarnate in human flesh. Fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect sinless life. That He died on the cross, was buried, rose again in His physical body. That through belief in Him we can have forgiveness of sin and only through trust in Him. It's things like the, the Bible is God's Word that it's authoritative, that it is inspired, that it is inerrant. These are all essential Christian beliefs. Now, you don't need to profess them to be saved, but whether or not you hold these essential beliefs, determine whether or not you're Christian, whether or not what you believe is Christianity. Does that make sense? Are you with me right now? So within this idea If I could be candid with you, a lot of churches stop here. There's the essentials, and then after you get past the essentials, it's just kind of the Wild West, just, you know, whatever, but there's some essential things you have to believe. And honestly, there's a point in my life I would say I probably was there. But once you have the essentials, you move into this other area. And this is what's called core Christian doctrine. And there's a lot of people that don't realize that core Christian doctrine Doctrine exists. Now, what I mean when I say core Christian doctrine, I mean that there are things that Christianity has a definitive position on. I'm going to talk more next week about how you can know what those things are and what those things aren't. But what I want you to understand is that Christianity comes with some specific views, Christianity believes some certain things. It's clear, it's concise. To say you're a Christian means something. In the same way, to say you're a vegetarian means something. If I say, hey, I'm a vegetarian, but I only eat meat, some of you can be like, I I don't think you know what a vegetarian is. No, I do. That's just what it means to me. No. When you say you're a vegetarian, it means some specific things. When you say you're a Christian, it means some specific things. Now, you might have a different view, but don't make the mistake that Christianity does not have a definitive position on the issue. For example, Christianity has a defined position on justice. Christianity has a defined position on racism. Christianity has a defined position on marriage. Has a defined position on sexuality. It has a defined position on gender, on the sacredness of human life. Has a position on how you treat others, on your work ethic, on laziness, on lying, on stealing, on adultery, on how husbands and wives should treat each other, on lust, on gluttony. The good news is your salvation is not determined on how you observe this. That's good news. Man, if if our salvation was on whether or not, like, I had to observe this perfectly, man, I might not be able to hold the mic this week. We have to interview Marissa. There's times I fall short. I don't, I don't know how to. Bible says husbands love your wives. How did I do this? You might say this week was good. Last week was not so good. <laughs> Saving faith isn't based on how well you adhere to this. That's why there's grace. But don't make the mistake that Christian doctrine doesn't have a position. And the role of Christian doctrine is to help us be more like Christ. The purpose of teaching. Is transformation. This is why we should read scripture. So when we find out what Jesus has said, we can begin to conform our lives and our mind to what he has said. That's why you should never be offended if you find yourself disagreeing with scripture. It's an opportunity. It's God saying, okay, this thing that's challenging to you right now, this is an area that I'm wanting to conform you into my image. I I'm wanted to help you grow. I wanted to make you more like me. Man, there's things. In scripture that I naturally disagree with it goes against my natural instincts Bible says love your enemies You know what I want to do punch him in the face what I want to do make it biblical lay hands on them however you want. like I can make it sound good but what I want to do and what Scripture says are two different things. So I got to say, God, okay, this is where I'm at. If I did punch him, forgive me and help me become more like you. Jesus said, pray for those that persecute you. I don't want to pray for them. Not until at least after I've, you know, written a scathing review on Yelp or something like that. <laughs> then I'll pray for them. But... In the moment, I don't always feel like what Scripture says. Well, as we find out what Jesus has said, he begins to transform us from the inside out. So just understand that knowing doctrine doesn't make you perfect. You can know the right stuff. But what it does do is it holds up a mirror, and it shows you the places where you need to change. And that's the goal. It's transformation. So when you can come to this place say, God, I'm right here. And I I see in your word, there's some stuff that is not where I'm at, but help me, help me to change, show me, teach me, that's the first step of repentance. Now, I do want to move on here, because beyond core Christian doctrine, there's something called community distinctives, and I'll go through this quickly, community distinctives. Community distinctives are things that are derived from scripture, but they vary in their expression. So community distinctives, like here would be an example, church government, church government. You know, the Bible talks that like church should have leadership and should be done orderly and there should be a method, but it doesn't say exactly how. It talks about elders and deacons and overseers and bishops. Those are all terms found in the Bible. It also talks about gifts given to the church. There's pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists. It also talks about how. People in the body have gifts that they're supposed to use. And some people have the gift of leadership and hospitality and service and generosity. But it doesn't say this is how it functions specifically. So that's why you have a lot of churches. Some churches are pastor-led, and some churches are board-led, and some are elder-led. and you know, Some are uh, all, all different sorts of ways, congregational-led. There's different church governments. If you want to know how we're governed as a church, I talk about it in Essentials. So you can go and find out but that's that would be a form of community distinctives how about liturgy liturgy is kind of a, a churchy word but what that means is is the the worship service the the worship it's community distinct now here's what we know there should be worship right there should be the proclamation of god's word apostles doctrine that there should be uh, you know prayer those are all essential elements but it didn't say like the mode of prayer it doesn't say that you know you need to say the Lord's Prayer every time you come together or you need to have a free-flowing style of prayer or you need to pray three times. It doesn't say that you need to read a little bit from the Old Testament, a little bit from the New Testament or that it needs to be kind of a written out or that the preaching needs to be this style. It doesn't say any of that. So there's some things we should have, but the, the way it plays out is, is different. Communion. Communion is, is biblical. We know we're supposed to observe it but we don't know how often. you supposed to do it every week? We started doing it every week because I felt like that'd be helpful for people. But there's no rule. It's supposed to be real wine or grape juice. Doesn't say. Wafer or bread. You know, that doesn't say. So there, there's, even with baptism, now baptism is biblical. We know that. But even within the expression of that, do people need to go through a class before they're baptized so they... Know what they're getting into? Well, the early, early church had a, a catechism before they baptized people, but we also see in Scripture that many times people were, but they would believe and then immediately baptized. And then there's even, you know, at what point do you do it? And is it a sprinkle or not? Like there's all sorts of methods to it. Those are community distinctives. How about the Holy Spirit? It's not really a, a question of to his role. It's part of the essential beliefs that he's part of the Trinity to the work that he does. Some churches, the the, the Holy Spirit has more prominence of expression. All those can be faithful, biblical expressions. And understanding these rings is going to help you understand what we mean when we talk about Christian orthodoxy. Now there is one more that's not on here that we'll put. And it is... uh, personal preference. Now, you'll notice that your personal preference does not have a ring around it. That's because your preference is not sacred. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it's not sacred. And what happens many times, what I'm going to help you with in this series is know how to rightly divide this stuff. Is this my preference or is this a distinctive or is this A core Christian doctrine. Or is this something I have to believe? And maybe I'm I'm, I'm not here yet. I'm going to help you know how to flesh out all of this stuff next week. Next week. Today I just want to help you know how to cut it right. Here's why. Why does all this matter? Because there are some things that we need to have conversations about. And then there's some things that we need to have convictions about. We can have some conversations around your preferences. We can have some conversations around the community distinctives. But when it comes to essential beliefs, when it comes to core Christian doctrine, we better have a conviction. Now, the sign of maturity is when you know you can carry a conviction. And love someone who doesn't. You can be bold in your conviction and still be bold in your love. In fact, that might be the surest sign of ringing true. I'll just give you this scripture. I won't put it on the screen. You can look it up read it for yourself. But in Ephesians 4, Paul is its actually a great chapter for orthodoxology. He gives doctrine. And praise to God. And what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 14, he says, I don't want you to be a baby where you're tossed about in the waves, back and forth, kind of wavering. I'm here a little bit, there a little bit. Blown about by every wind of doctrine. Uh, I, I want you, he says in verse 15, I want you to grow into maturity. How? Speaking the truth in love. So you can have a bold conviction and you can have bold love. Maturity is when you can carry two ideas at once. It says, when you do this, then you'll grow in every respect into maturity and to who Christ has called you to be.